0: Coast Podcast. We're back here with episode eight and uh, at first we just want to apologize real quick because we've been on a little bit of a tiny hiatus here but uh, that's just because uh, Tommy has been just kind of locked up with work just very hectic schedule recently and I at the same time have had um, finals ending and school ending the last little three or four weeks so now that all that's over we're back with you. I'm your host Kyle Creasy and obviously here with my co-host tommy smith and we have a lot in store for you guys this summer we're gonna be going hard so this is that's the that's the last time of the hiatus thing for at least a while so we're good back on a weekly schedule but today we wanted to come in talk some playoffs with you guys go over some series and we also wanted to talk a little bit about the kings with their new hiring of the new head coach mike brown we want to talk about the bulls and zach levine's free agency and we also wanted to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, kind of the way their season ended, and Ben Simmons, just a lot of Ben Simmons things and some Kyrie Irving things. Um, we have a guest with us today, a very good friend of mine, uh, Daryl Rice. Um, as you guys know, I, I'm a student assistant at the college that I go to, Maryville College, and Daryl Rice is a point guard at our school and plays for our basketball team. So glad to have him on. Uh, Daryl, glad you can make it. Uh, if you don't care, man, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Some uh, maybe your favorite players, and t- favorite teams, some things you like in the NBA, anything, man.
1: Just well, all right. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Uh my name's Daryl Rice. I play right point PG at Maryville College. And um I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an engineering major. And I guess my favorite player is Kyrie, so I might be a little biased on today's show, but you know, just looking forward to it. Uh, y'all gonna hate me for this with my favorite. Well, the team I stick by the most is Detroit, because I lived in Michigan for a while, so don't hate me. I know they suck, but it's okay. I'm going to stick by them, but that's just a little bit about me.
0: Yeah, and Darryl again, man, we appreciate you for coming on. I know this is time, just like any other guests that we have, so really thanks, man. But uh, getting straight into it, um, you know, this second round of the playoffs here, uh, just want to touch on the entertainment level of these series. Uh, not not too often can you get a point where all four of these second-round series are going deep and could possibly all go the distance. Uh, I know I've personally really enjoyed watching every single game. I mean, I know I do with almost any game, but these have, for the most part, been really good games and really good series. So uh, just very high entertainment level. Um, I just want to ask you guys real quick, either of you jump in, what has been your favorite series to this point in the second round?
2: So for me, it's definitely have to, it def- definitely has to be the Boston-Milwaukee series, uh, just because both teams are so dang good, and it's just a mystery what happens every every game. Like, you could be up by 20 and then still lose the game. So that's been my, my favorite series so far in the second round.
1: I had to agree with Tommy there because every game is a close game, and it's like, you know, you'll never know who's going to – Take the lead. I mean, if they have the lead, it's not, they don't have it for long, you know. So it's a back and forth game the entire game. And you love the intensity level with, you know, some of the players, especially like Al Horford, bringing the energy every game. But that's definitely been my favorite game or favorite series so far.
0: Yeah. And uh, I have to agree with both of you. Um, That's definitely been my favorite series. Uh, I'm on record for saying that whoever wins that series, in my opinion, will win the championship. As you guys know as listeners, uh, 90% of the year I've said Bucks winning it all and Middleton went down. Celtics got healthy at the right time. I I changed my pick before the playoffs. Well, Middleton wasn't hurt just yet, but I did change my pick before the playoffs for the Celtics to win it all. But I do see it as like a 1A, 1B thing. And and I do believe that whoever wins this is coming out. So I'm very intrigued by it. Um, And we will dive into that series. But first, I wanted to touch on the Grizzlies versus Warriors series and I originally had this plan to talk about first because it was 3-1 and last night I just figured you know no jog in um, 3-1 I was just it just it just felt over honestly because of how Memphis kind of lost that game they were in control of the whole game for and lost the lead and at that point it just kind of felt like okay you know this one's probably over but Um, Because of a massacre last night in Memphis, Um, we're sitting at 3-2. And uh, Warriors, I think, are in some dangerous territory here. Um, You know, first off, 240 minutes of this series have been played. The Memphis Grizzlies have led 182 of the 240 minutes in this series. Um, I saw that today, and I was was shocked. Like, I mean, that's – 80% 80% or something like that of the series. That's ridiculous. Like, um, And, you know, I just wanted to touch on, I know Jaws out for the playoffs, and it's very unfortunate, but this Grizzlies team showed that they're a good team in the regular season, even without him. I'm not saying they're a contender without him, but they've shown that they're a really good basketball team even without him. And it was just unfortunate timing, because who knows where this series is at right now if Steven Adams played in the very beginning. He unfortunately caught covid uh, right as a series of starting so he didn't play in game 1 he didn't play in game 2 and game 3 he was there he played like 5 minutes but he just wasn't ready to be back yet and game 4 and game 5 have shown the effects that steven adams would have had on this series if he came from the if he played from the jump and some of the effects he's already had have been crazy and without jaw in games 4 and 5 the starting lineup that they've ran with is the same starting lineup that they would have ran with, but it's Tyus Jones instead of John Moran in the playoffs. This lineup has really only played a lot together during games four and five of this second round series. So this is not something skewed from last Minnesota series or from this series overall. It's really just from games four and five. That's that starting five. And whenever they play together are plus 74.4 per 100 possessions on the floor together. And they've played 57 possessions together. So, I mean, that's a good chunk of possessions. And for me, it's just Steven Adams just completely changes the interior defensively. Golden State is a very heavy, just constant motion moving offense, driving kick, driving kick, create. Well, they can't do that with Steven Adams down in the middle. And it's also just the rebounding aspect of it, too. In these past two games, Memphis has out rebounded Golden State by 12 in the last two games combined. Um, just some other things to touch on uh, the Warriors have tried some zone in these past two games and Memphis is killing it because the Warriors are sitting there saying we can't go man mat- matchup man because what's going on is Jaron Jackson Jr. has got a little he's got a small guy on him it's been that all series and he's taking advantage of it well now Stephen Steven Adams does too and he's just sealing off everybody so they've tried zone it's not working at all um you know, I wanted to touch on Tyus Jones, but I'll let one of you guys speak first. Uh, what just What are your thoughts on this series? Either
2: of you? This series is also great because uh, it was it was great with Jaw, and then uh, now that we have no Jaw, uh, and we're going to touch on this later. But it seems like this team plays better without him. Um, to be completely honest, uh, and I'll touch on this more, but it's just like everybody's so dang good that they have a chance to shine.
1: Right, and to, you know, feed off that, like, I love Tyus Jones. I just love the way he plays. He's a great guard and great backup for a ja. job. And uh, I think, you know, and he shined. I felt like even throughout last series against Minnesota and in this series here and throughout the season, like he's shown, like, if he needed to, he can play, he could start. And, you know, I think the reason, you know, why, Memphis hasn't been winning or hasn't played as well as, like like you said, Steven Adams hasn't been there to impact them. And because I think they were relying a little bit too much on Ja, uh, you know, the first two games, two or three games. But, you know, Jaron was also helping, them, especially that first game. But, you know, I think they relied too much on Ja and Desmond Bain, kind of, you know, doing as well during those first couple of games, you know, also affected them. But, you know, now that they got everybody, now they have Ja out, like, they don't have to rely on they have to rely on each other. So it's more about that team ball and stuff like that now. I mean it was before, but now you can just really show like everybody's doing their thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I I totally get what you're saying about relying on job but I do think that they were kind of hit with some unfortunate circumstances. First off, obviously with Steven Adams out. And then Dylan Brooks uh was ejected early in game two and then was out for game three as well. And although I'll get to him in a second. He's not played all that great overall. He's a pretty – he's one of the more high usage rate guys on that team. And then Bain with the back injury, I mean, he looked a lot better last night. But that this is clearly something that's been bothering him uh, since the end of that Minnesota series going into this one. And so I think he kind of like had to. But, I mean, and they were still in a position where they're a missed jaw layup away from still being up you know, 2-1 after that beatdown in Golden State at game three. But um, just obviously wanted to touch on Tyus Jones more as well. Like, I've seen enough, like, in the regular season when Jaw's not there and even in the playoffs when Jaw's not on the floor and then these past two games, like, he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason. He needs to be a starting point guard somewhere. Like, I I don't – He's too good, in my opinion, to still be at this place as a or anywhere as a backup point guard.
2: Do you guys agree?
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with that.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he's definitely had his time to mature in the league. He's been in it since 2015, so he has done a good job of maturing and and devoting himself to to get better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just. Maybe he'll be in a Clipper uniform. No. <laughs> but, um, but I, I just – I hope he's somewhere where he is a starting point guard. And I think, I think that he will have some money waiting on him. I'm not talking about some huge bag. But, I mean, I could see the 15, 16, maybe even up in the $18 million range, depending on who has cap space and who would want him. But uh, I think it could be interesting. But he's on, he's on Memphis right now, and I know that they're very happy that he is a part of their team. Um, and lastly in this series, I just want to touch on uh, the play of Dylan Brooks. Um, first off on court play but also like the play and I think you guys know what I'm talking about but uh first I just wanted to ask um did you think it was worth the ejection
3: in game two
1: my opinion I think so but like I mean I can see where people are saying like well Draymond was just as bad but I feel like he genuinely didn't go for the ball with Gary Payton and then like, it didn't help that the fact that he, what, broke his elbow. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So like that also didn't help his case. So like I understand the ejection and like the suspension. So I think it was necessary. This is my opinion. but. I
2: So I agree with it, but, um, I'd like for us not to have key players, uh, taken out of the game in the playoffs. The Draymond one I thought was awful. He shouldn't have got thrown out for that. And then, so, saying that, I guess I should have, like, this one shouldn't have happened either because I just want to see these players in the game. Um, It was was dirty and it was, like, but you just – it's the playoffs.
0: Yeah, me, like, I, I definitely thought it was worth the ejection. I did not think it was worth another game suspension. Because to me, like, if – and, I mean, some people may take this the wrong way, but, like, let's be real, man, if Gary Payton doesn't have some fractured elbow or broke elbow or whatever it was, Dylan Brooks is not is not suspended the next game. Like, so we, we can't judge these things off a, an injury or something. you got to judge it on the play itself. So I didn't necessarily agree with that. And, I mean, although I think Dylan Brooks hasn't played the greatest – on court this series his him not being there was pretty big in in game three so I mean that was a loss that they took so unfortunate but you know i not a lot to talk about Warriors personnel in my opinion I think you know we know who they are and they had a terrible game five so we'll see how they bounce back I, I thought it was more worth mentioning Memphis so obviously in some of these other series we'll talk about guys from both sides but me personally um I think that the Warriors have been playing really well offensively and um you know they had an embarrassing game 5. I do want to touch on Draymond specifically. Uh it's getting pretty embarrassing like his offensive his lack of scoring ability at all is it's 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 awful. Like he has no he's no scoring threat at all. It's it's the worst I've ever seen it. Like I know Draymond's not some like heavy scorer or whatever, but there were times a few years ago it's never been this bad. I'll put it that way. Have you guys kind of felt the same way about that?
2: I have personally. He's uh much better than, you know, what he's showing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love my Michigan State guy, you know, but you know, Draymond is they're leaving him like wide open, like they're literally leaving him open from the three and they're elbow or below like they're he's looking to set up somebody to set a screen have somebody set a screen but he's not even looking towards the rim at this point honestly like he needs to start trying these threes or like because i understand you're like a pro so like you should be able to have some capability of hitting a wide open three if needed like because they are face guarding curry clay and jordan whenever they come in the game so he needs to be able to you know release some of that pressure off of them and be able to like Attack downhill, even get the foul or something like that.
0: Yeah, uh, it's
1: just it's.
0: I just don't like how he off some of these cuts or off some of these drives. It's just like you said, it's not even looking at the rim. But game six to be very interesting. Um, I I think I'll go as far to say it's a must win for the Warriors. But moving along, next up. Heat and 76ers. Um, we're recording this on a, thir- on a uh, Thursday afternoon. Um, I think the Heat closed it out tonight. I do, but we'll see. Uh, we are 3 2 Heat right now. Uh, some of the interesting things I wanted to point out were just we've seen a ton of zone from both sides. And to me, that's kind of like crazy to. Just thinking about in the NBA playoffs that there's points in this series where both teams are just going back and forth running zone defense. And uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it's, it's kind of intriguing, kind of interesting. Uh, I do think it's a shame that Embiid is going through all of these injuries. Um, I'm glad that he was able to come back and they were able to kind of stretch this series out. But uh, you can just tell he's not even close to 100%. The torn ligament on the, on the right thumb, shooting hand, uh, the orbital fracture, uh, it's bothering him. I mean, it clearly is. And then uh, it's not helping either that uh, James Harden is just – I mean, we saw it in the first round, but – I mean, we saw it all year really, but it's just like – I just keep hoping at some point, like, I don't know, maybe I'll see a, a old Harden performance. And we got one in game four. That was awesome. But game five, just back to the just slow first step not finishing well around the rim, like no, then no mid range game for him is what hurts because when he loses that first step, like he has with this hamstring injury, it's just, it's hard. Like it's hard to settle for either a layup or a three with a really good defensive team like Miami that can switch everything and pretty much guard you with anybody on the floor. And you can't really create space in the mid range and feel comfortable taking that shot. So Yeah, um, he's been struggling. Maybe they can pull something together in game six tonight and stretch it to seven, but, but, you know. Um, I also wanted to point out, I think it's interesting, Max Struess has the highest plus-minus in the entire playoffs right now. Uh, He's like a plus 33.3. And then I want to pose a question to you guys real quick. Um, Jimmy Butler's been nothing short of amazing on both ends of the floor in the Hawks series and in this series. He's had two 40-point games. I think he's averaging like near near 30 right now, like 29 points a game uh along with like somewhere in the range of I don't know 6 to 8 rebounds, 6 to 8 assists and he's been as good of a defender as he's ever been. Um has Jimmy Butler been a top 3 uh player in these in these playoffs?
2: Yeah, he has. Um last time that we did these rankings I don't I'm not sure if it was the last episode that we recorded that it was we the it was the one that we cut. Gotcha. Well, we did a little segment in that, and we had our top players for the playoffs, and I actually did have Jimmy Butler number, like, 1A, 1B with Tatum type of deal, and he's been incredible. Um, just tearing it up, honestly. Um, as I've been waiting to see this for from Jimmy Butler for a long time.
1: Yeah, I, I think I can agree with that as well. Like I feel like maybe the top three players – and these playoffs are actually, like, all in the East with, you know, Giannis, uh, Jason and Jimmy Butler, and, you know, Devin Booker right outside of that, obviously. But
0: – Luka Doncic as well.
1: And Luka, yeah. Luka's great performances, like, like you said, he's like one in a generation type of deal. But um, with Jimmy, like, I think we it showed in the 2020 playoffs in the bubble, like, he's, like, been capable of this and, you know, he just had more of these surrounding pieces with him now that he's in Miami. But, like, honestly, he, he wants it. He, would like, you know, he has a taste of blood, you know, from those playoffs before. And, you know, he really wants it. He, I think he could take this team, you know, up against hopefully, probably Milwaukee team and, you know, probably stretch it a game, uh, seven games, honestly. so. Um and you know he's
0: been he's been awesome some of these games he's really going to have to get help from some of his supporting cast there's been a few games where they have gotten it um it does hurt that Kyle Lowry is out he came back for game 4 I think and just was not even close to 100% um so yeah some of those other guys just got to keep stepping up um I also just wanted to throw in there, I think it's interesting that Spo is, when they do go man, they're pre-switching a lot of actions on Joel Embiid. And that's something that I think's really giving him some trouble because he just never finds himself at like a true advantage point unless, unless it's like the Harden and Embiid pick and roll, which is the best pick and roll in basketball, um, that I wish that they would do more. Um, and the numbers tell you that. I don't have them in front of me, but I've seen them before, and it's just insane. But um it just he it makes him struggle because he there's no like advantage point with them pre-switching as much as they are. So I just thought that was interesting. And then I also want to touch on Duncan Robinson getting a lot of DNPs and just not really playing uh much at all. Uh, I think it's ultimately gonna lead to him being traded this offseason. Um, because you can't just have an $18 million player that's just riding the bench. So, you uh, know, I, mean, I just wanted to hear what you guys maybe thought about that. Like, do you think this is something where it really is just situational in the last two rounds where they don't feel comfortable with him playing against like a Trey Young or a Harden? Or do you think that he, or do you think that Spo just genuinely has him out of the rotation?
2: So I think. Uh... Although Spo is such a like methodical guy with his matchups, I do think this is like a situation where he, he is gonna get moved in the off season, uh, just strictly because he's he's not an awful player and I think some of the matchups in the first first round would have been favorable for him to, you know, do what he does, but um
0: Yeah, and I mean for those for those that don't remember game one of the first round, Dunga Robinson went off. Mm-hmm. Like I think he yep. had
2: I think he had, like, 28 points with, like, seven or eight threes. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely think that they're looking to move away from him. He's just too – honestly too good not to be playing. I'll, I'll take him. Way too good of a shooter, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's a great shooter, obviously. But, you know, they're going to need a lot more of that, um, more than that because, you know, on defense, like, you know, teams will just continue to switch until they get onto Duncan Robinson and take advantage of him. And so, like, at that point, it's just, like, you know, you can't play him because of that. Because, you know, it's playoff time. You can't have any lost possessions, really. You got to limit those. So, yeah. For sure. Um,
0: I guess my one thing where I'm kind of struggling to see why he's maybe not – I'm not even saying he should play a ton or start, but, like, I guess why I'm not understanding why he's maybe not getting, like, at least 15 minutes or something to just come in and maybe get streaky or whatever is – The concern is obviously that he would get hunted on defense. But the amount of zone to me that Miami's running to be able to disguise Tyler Hero while he's in, why can't you do that for Duncan? Because Tyler Hero is not necessarily making up for it on the offensive end overall in this series. So I guess my thing is like, if Tyler Hero gets these passes and they get to go zone for him because he's a weak defender, why can't they just kind of do the same for Duncan? I get it. Maybe you don't want both of them in at the same time. But there's at least around 15 to 18 minutes a game where Hero's not in the ball game, so I don't know. You know, I I just feel like it's a I feel like it's a weak excuse to use that logic for Duncan whenever it's the exact same for Hero, but it's not being used for Hero. So it's whatever they're up three two. I'm not like bashing it or anything. It's just I just find it intriguing. Um, but next I want to talk about the Suns. And the Mavs, um, Suns had a great game five to go up 3-2. Uh, game six is tonight in Dallas. Um, Luka, Luka Doncic is by far the best player in the series. I don't, I don't think it's very close. I mean, I know, like, I don't see much argument there. I, I really don't. Um, he's averaging 32 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists on 46% shooting in the series right now. And he's hunting literally anyone and everyone. It's not something where, like – it's not something where, like, he's specifically hunting a guy or two. No, he doesn't care. Like, as if Mikkel Bridges is on him, he's going to try to switch him off. But there comes a certain point where he doesn't care. If he has the space, he will just simply hunt Mikel Bridges. He'll be like, okay, I'll clear this out and I'll just take you. Like, you're not guarding me. So, I I just find it crazy that a team with that good of a defense – and I've touched on this before. Like, I don't think that they have the defensive personnel necessarily to to – contain Luca very well, but I do think that they have two defenders that could do a good job, but he's killed them both. And that's Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder. It doesn't matter if they're on him. Um doesn't matter who's on him. He's killing CP3. He's killing Booker. He's killing Aiton. He's killing Cam Johnson. Like everybody. He doesn't care. He's going at him. Um to me this series is very reminiscent to last year's Clippers series in the first round. And I say that because there's important players for the Suns campaign for instance that JaVale McGee was another one that in game five it favored them two really good role players for the Phoenix Suns have been completely played off the floor because Luca is just that good in terms of mismatch hunting and being able to expose those mismatches and that's what happened to Patrick Beverly and Ivica Zubak in the Clippers series and also the Mavericks shooting in some of those games or just like this, some of their wins, Luca's going to give you Luca every game. Brunton has been fairly consistent in this series, and although he didn't really play much in the Clippers series, it's just like Tim Hardaway Jr. was probably that guy last year in terms of just consistently hitting shots. But they're winning games because they just spaced the floor and hit a ridiculous amount of threes. And they hit it against the Clippers last year in the first round, their first two wins were actually two of the best shooting performances based on shot quality in playoff history. And I don't think that these two were maybe near that level where they won the two games in Dallas, but they were both very, very good shooting performances. So, really, it's just can Dallas cook up four of those? (laughs) And so we'll see if they do. Um, I've been impressed with Jason Kidd's defensive adjustments. Um, Early on in the series, they were blitzing the DHO at the top the little Aiton handoff to Booker coming downhill and they got killed off of it. And I, I don't remember if they did it for game two again or not. I think they did it some, but it wasn't as much. And they played them closer, but they're not really blitzing that DHO at all anymore. They maybe blitz Booker off a high pick and roll at the top of the key, but they don't blitz him off that DHO. And uh, for audience, if you don't know a DHO is just a dribble handoff, but, um, but they're not blitzing that. And I think that's helped them a lot. They're also not really shading or showing on DeAndre Ayton with other defenders. They, they don't care to switch everything and they don't care to let him go one on one, even if Jalen Brunson, for instance, is guarding him. I think that that's fared well in their favor because he's not been super aggressive like he was in game one in the series overall. And they've also gotten to the point where they're just completely running Phoenix off the line and kind of fly by in a lot of those three. So what they're kind of wanting is for them to keep dribbling in and pit. They want, I think could be wrong i think it's because they want phoenix to attack off the flyby and pitch and i think they want phoenix to shoot the same amount of threes that they're going to shoot because phoenix doesn't want to shoot a lot of threes they're one of the lowest three-point rate teams in the entire nba i think that's the philosophy behind it i think it's helped them a little bit especially in games three and four even in game two game two is a good a good game um but i've liked all those adjustments uh and I, I want your guys' thoughts on this. I've got my thoughts, and I'll touch on it. And I've got some statistics behind it. But why is Dwight Powell
3: even playing?
0: Like, any answer from you? Got like, could you I, think, I, could you think of? Honestly, of why <laughs> Jason Kidd is still playing him right now?
2: Yeah, I have no clue. He's ugh, he's he's not good, and. This is like an empty stat line on every night. I, I wouldn't
0: even. I wouldn't even go as far as to say not good. I mean, he's not doing anything good right now. Like what? Uh,
2: yeah. Like what is he doing for yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. Like wh- what is he
0: doing? Like just
2: a body, honestly, is what it seems like. Any thoughts on that, Daryl?
0: Like,
1: I man's just uh, you know, running up and down the court, not doing too much, anyways, and yeah, you, there's no words for that. So, so, so here's
0: here's some numbers for you. They are 10.3 points worse per 100 possessions with Powell on the floor in the playoffs. They, Clabo, in my opinion, has been great for them against both Utah and Phoenix, and their defense is actually 14 points better per 100 possessions with Kleba with that starting five instead of Powell. And I get it you can't necessarily just throw Kleba into the starting five and then not have a guy that plays like the 15 to 18 minutes that Powell plays. But I guess my thinking is I get it. He's bad defensively, but Breton's has been a flamethrower in this series. And so maybe you sacrifice some defense, but I mean, Powell's not really giving you anything on defense anyway. So why not maybe just give up Berton's minutes a little bit, maybe up Dorian Finney-Smith's minute. I know he plays a ton, but I'm just saying, like, maybe just slightly up his minutes, up Kleba's minutes more, let him start, and just throw Berton's in more and just – I don't know. I, I just don't see the point of playing Dwight Powell anymore. Um, it, it feels like 15 to 8 minutes, 18 minutes a game that are just wasted. Um, but that's my thoughts. Um, and then, obviously, Campaign and JaVale McGee were benched. In game five, and I just want to simply ask you guys: Should this stick?
1: No, I think so. It just seems to have been like working out well, like you said. Luca's just going to take advantage of that, anyways. Especially with Cameron Payne, maybe being like smaller, anyways. And then Javale McGee, like he's taking, like you said, he's taking advantage of everybody, but like. JaVale McGee's feet just like aren't the fastest, so like that's it. And I'm not saying Luca's the fastest guy either, but he gets He's so shifty, so crafty. Like he, he exposes Javale in that way.
0: Yeah, he's just so manipulative to where like, like even if even like there's so many guys in the league that are obviously faster and move better laterally than Luca, but like how manipulative he is with the ball and what he can do off screens and the way he can get you in position once he gets downhill at all, like without even beating you off the dribble, just simply creating the slightest bit of space off getting you to lean one way, he can go, and once he gets his back to the basket in about 15 feet, then you're, you're done if it's one-on-one. So, yeah, I completely agree. Um, Shamit did come in and play like the backup one. I thought it worked pretty well. So I think that they stick with it, at least for this series.
2: Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, at least for the series, they need to keep doing it. Cause,
0: yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm, Luka, not, I'm not saying, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but, like, I'm not saying that
2: they need to do it
0: for the entirety of the playoffs if they move on. I just think for this series. Yeah.
2: And, Sam- oh, God. oh, my bad. I just bouncing off the Luca. thing, Luca being manipulative, he knows how he's going to attack each matchup. Like, he, his legs are tree trunks. He has to squat upwards 450. Um, he has the strength of a sinner. sometimes, it seems like. <laughs> so, yeah, I, he I just think, knows I just think knows. he's a little, like, he's
0: got a mentality, in my opinion, of, like, some other guys. Like, I think he has it in his head. Like, he's insane. Like, can you imagine – I don't care how good you are. Like, and I know some people kind of have this mindset, so I'm trying to, like, say it in a specific way to make sense. But, like, Luca, I think, generally looks at any matchup on the floor – and he's like, oh, I know what I can do to actually kill that guy.
3: <laughs> right.
0: But yeah, so game six tonight ought to be interesting. I do expect Dallas to play a lot better than they did in game five. They're a very good home team. Um, hopefully, we get a game seven. But on to Celtics and Bucks. So this series, like we all said, has definitely been our favorite to watch. Um, it is 3 2 Bucks after a. Very, very pivotal game five last night. Completely stolen game from Milwaukee. Boston in control most of the game. Took, a, took, took even more control in the fourth quarter and just really, really kind of blew that one. Um, very unfortunate to lose that game. Um, just circumstances. Jason Tatum had a great game. Jalen Brown had a really good game overall and had a ballistic third quarter. Um, you know, you also had uh just the fact that it was at home, and now you're going to be going into a game six you know like win or go home situation that's not on your home floor, and uh that's that's a tough environment in Milwaukee, you know, a team who they're 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 hungry to go back to that to that finals. This isn't some team that was complacent after winning a championship, and so for them to lose Middleton and be in this position. Still, like, that's going to be a very tough environment to go play in to try to keep their season alive. Um, it's been just an absolute war of a series. I uh, think I feel pretty confident at this point in calling Giannis Anadokounmpo the best player in the world. Um, you know, let me know if there's any disagreement there. Um, yeah, I, I figured we would be in agreement. Um, I've never I've – I'm a huge Drew Holiday fan. I've never felt like he gets the praise he deserves. I'm just hoping that at some point it finally comes. I I thought I saw a lot of national media attention, honestly, throughout a few of these games, but especially after game five. Um, You know, even though Giannis, in my opinion, is the best player in the world and he's played like it, um, I do think that the Celtics have still continually had a great defense and a great defensive game plan for him. I mean, they are holding him to about 10% worse from the field than what he shot all playoffs last year and in the first round this year. Um and I mean, I, you hate to say like, take away a certain game, but like take away the game five he just had with forty. You're, you're you're bound to have a performance like that. They've held the man to, I think sub like sub forty shooting. And that's ridiculous for a guy that gets as many looks around the rim as he does. Um, you know, I still personally think Milwaukee, even without Middleton, has another gear to unlock in this series specifically. I don't think that they're attacking Pritchard enough while he's on the floor. And I also, although I'm a proponent of Derek White, and I think he was, he's been a great addition to this team all year, I just think you have to attack what is the best mismatch on the floor. And I don't think that they're attacking the Derek White, the Derek White enough whenever you would obviously much rather get him involved opposed to attacking a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, a defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford, a Grant Williams. Would definitely, I just don't think they're attacking Derek White enough whenever those lineups are in where it's five great defensive players. And Derek White is a really good defensive player, but just instead of the other guys. Pritchard is not being attacked enough at all. He's only playing about eight, ten minutes a game. But still, you got to take advantage of that while he's in. Um, just wanted to mention how great Al Horford's been. Um, you could argue this is the best defense he's ever played in his entire career. And in the playoffs right now, Horford is averaging 15 points, nine rebounds, and three assists shooting 57% from the floor, 51% from three on five threes a game, and 80% from the free throw line. I just I, – I can't go talk about the series or the Celtics in general without praising Al Horford. Um, I thought what was funny was that Yudoka actually matched Horford's minutes exactly with Giannis in game five. Um, that's just – I don't know. It's, it was funny to me. I didn't really pick up on it. I saw something about it after. But uh, they were split like twenty seconds between how much they played, and it was literally in and out same time. Um, and I also just wanted to throw in something that I don't think that Boston is using enough, and they should have used in crunch time in Game Five, in my opinion. But they didn't go to it. It worked so well in Game Four. Is Yudoka kind of went a further step to experiment and and towards the in the fourth quarter of Game Four. And he, had, he was just thinking of something to experiment with because Robert Williams is out. He decided to go with a – I mean, Tatum's a forward, but, like, you could call it like a four-perimeter player lineup with just one big man in Al Horford. And the lineup was Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford. That lineup in 62 possessions together because they played the majority of the fourth quarter together, and then he actually played with them a good amount in game five. They're plus thirty-five point five per one hundred possessions, and the lineup just wasn't used much at all. Like I said, until Game Four, and I just—you got to use that more. It, it worked so well in Game Four, and I get it. Grant Williams is great; he's been great in the whole series. But I feel like when something works that well, you got to keep going back to it. And I praise Udoka. I think he's one of the—I think he's one of the better coaches in the NBA already. He's had an incredible year one, but I just think he has to go that lineup more. What do you guys think?
2: I definitely agree um, you couldn't have said it better if it's if it's working why why like why would you not give yourself the best you know position to win uh, so yeah I'm completely with you on that one
1: yeah you can't you can't go away from that lineup they're amazing on the court together there's like that chemistry they have on the court is just like unreal and they're, defensively they're like amazing especially like you said with Giannis like you know with and I think that Celtics lineup has a lot of length already and then Marcus Smart amazing defense on him taking charges like he has some crucial uh, charges you know they're late in the games and stuff like that but like you said with Al Horford's uh energy like alone in game four like the man went crazy after Giannis had went and taunted him you know got them right back and so that energy is what led them you know to win that game and i was like do they have another performance in them like that i think i think they're capable of definitely beating them in milwaukee but like you said it will be tough just because of the crowd and that you know it's going to be a lot in there it really will so i think hopefully they can take it out and you know take it back to boston but you know we'll see
0: If you're a Boston fan, you can at least be a little bit optimistic because Milwaukee before this, they won game one and they won game three. And in both game two and game four, Boston responded with a win after both of those losses. Um, I think also this is just one of those fun stats to throw out. Um, The Boston Celtics have one more series being down three, two than any other franchise in the NBA. Um, Just one of those fun things to look at. but uh. You know, if they can – it's just – I I struggle to think that Boston has a great shot at winning this game six. But they do have a shot nonetheless. It's not like I'm just completely counting them out. I just think it's going to be tough. So we'll we'll see what this team is made of. I mean, I think they're great regardless if they lose, in my opinion. They've had a very successful season. They finally have the core that they're looking for. Next season will be great. But you never know how many cracks you're going to get at a championship. And so, to me, it's still, you know, they, this, this season matters as much as anything. So, game six will be huge. I'll be interested in seeing if Robert Williams is back or not. But, yeah, um, that's, you know, all the playoff talk we have for today. We've got a few different things to talk about with you guys. Like I said, the Nets with Ben Simmons, Kings, their coaching hire, and then the Bulls, and Zach Levine's free agency. But first, I just wanted to quickly mention two things um real quick response how do you guys feel about the new edition of the eastern conference finals and western conference final mvp trophies the larry bird award and the magic johnson award
2: i don't i don't feel any type of way about it i mean it's whatever it doesn't i mean it doesn't necessarily mean anything to me but i mean cool cool you got it cool
1: yeah like, like tommy said like I mean, it's. I think it's funny just because of Magic and Larry Bird that they named it the award. But uh, yeah, it doesn't mean too much unless like you know, it, and I, it probably won't mean too much to whoever gets it either until like they win the chip. So I just
0: I think it was pointless, but just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> um, and then also um, we we found out since our last podcast officially that um, Monty Williams won Coach of the Year. Um, And then today we found out that uh, Zach Kleiman for Memphis won Executive of the Year. Um, As you guys know, Monty Williams was my Coach of the Year pick. Um, Kleiman was not my Executive of the Year pick. I actually thought that that was complete robbery, that Brad Stevens did not win it. But it is what it is. Um, How did you guys feel about those two awards? Uh,
2: Monty Williams won. He's absolutely deserving of that. Uh, Man does great things. Last year we saw what he could do. And then this year, um, with the injuries they had, he still led them to the best record in the what in the West. So or, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that he's deserving of it. You know, another number one seed two years in a row. And like second seed last year. Second seed last year. Second okay. seed, my bad, my bad. You're good. You're but good. But the the fact that they even like you know, because of COVID, they played 10 less games. and still had a better record than they did uh, this year. It's like the fact that, you know, nobody thought Phoenix would be in this position maybe like five years ago at all, e- even three years ago with them, uh, you know, having like uh, 50, you know, going 50-50 that year. But um, I think Monty Williams is like just a passion he has for the game and everything like leading those guys, especially they're young, they're young guys and going to where they are now and, like, trying to repeat and do the same thing, I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up beating Milwaukee or whoever ends up out of that East in uh in the finals just because, like, yeah, just because.
0: I mean, yeah, they were the best team in basketball in the regular season. I mean, they weren't my title pick, but they were my pick to come out the West uh, all se- for the majority of the season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, regular season, they were the best team. So, I mean, yeah, he was deserving of it. Um uh and then you know just moving along um we got we got some topics that we want to discuss first being the Nets and Ben Simmons and a little bit of Kyrie Irving as well and that's that was why I wanted to have Daryl on was uh the I know he's a huge Kyrie fan so uh you know Daryl Daryl's got to get out of here but uh first we wanted to ask him a few things about the Nets specifically and Kyrie Irving so um Daryl First, I just wanted to talk to you about Kyrie's performance in the playoffs. And, um, you know, he came out, he had a monster, just like a master class in game one, dropped 39, hit tough shot after tough shot in the fourth quarter specifically. But then it was just a bad, 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 arguably all-time low for Kyrie in the preceding games. I mean, did you see anything in particular that maybe made you think he was, that led him to be like more uncomfortable or... What what do you think was throwing him off so much? I mean, obviously Boston has a great defense, but, like, do you think there was anything more to it?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, Boston, like, the fact that they're stopping one of the best players in the world right now and Giannis, like, their defense was definitely a factor. But, like, I, in my opinion, I know he tries not to, like, worry about the outside noise, but I think it was getting to him a little bit, just, like, the fact that he played in Boston and that, you know, that he had, the history he had with them, like, the, like, slander they had coming at him, especially in game one, was, like, ridiculous. And so, like, he had that little outburst with him throwing up, you know, the bird to everybody. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, he had a great game one. Um, And, you know, I think it might have been, like, the outside noise, you know, coming and affecting him in his game, honestly. Because, like, I love him. I love Kyrie, but... He didn't play up to par like he should have, but at the same time, I think if Kyrie had played, what you know, without the COVID restrictions during the season, they wouldn't be in the position they were in now. Honestly, because like down the stretch, they would have been able to rest KD more, or rest Kyrie more, and hadn't tried not to like push and try to get in, you know fight for a playoff uh, spot. So, you know, I think if he had played during the regular season that would have changed a lot and even maybe in the way KD played because KD was tired at the end. So,
0: I, And, I mean, Kyrie is a is a favorite player of mine as well in terms of ranking my players in the league. But also just something is like I feel like a conversation has to be had at this point. Like there's not a whole lot on the playoff resume outside of alongside LeBron James. And he was great with LeBron James. It's not like LeBron carried him, okay, but, like, in terms of – who all can you really compliment to win a championship? It's just not showing well right now.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Harry, I mean, you do need a, you need a support cast. You need all those people, but like, at the end of the day, you are a superstar. So like you are, you know, looked up to and looked to, to like carry a lot of the load. So, and you know, he, it didn't show, especially in these, uh, this first playoff. I mean, these playoff series, but I mean, hopefully, like Kyrie was shooting an incredible clip, like when he did play, like in the regular season. Oh, yeah. Very you know, efficient, all that stuff. So I think, honestly, I think more is to come from Kyrie. I'm not going to write him off at all. This, like, you know, I'm biased about him anyways, but I'm not going to write him off at, at all because I I think he will, you know, step up his level of play. And, but like it is gonna be difficult too, cause you know, with him, you know, during Ramadan and stuff like that, like, he's not eating. A lot of your energy comes from food. So, and then I know he needs. Yeah, he's gonna. But that's gonna be the case for the rest of his career, honestly, from now on. So.
0: Yep. And then just kind of like last question I wanted to hit on with Kyrie, with you specifically, is he is an unrestricted free agent this off season, or he has a player option, but he will definitely opt out to try to get more long term money. Um, I would say it's obviously likely he resigns, but I mean, even as a Kyrie fan, and I mean, if you think he's worth what he wants, then say it. But do you think he should get the max contract that he's
3: looking for?
1: Um. Honestly, I, I don't. I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. Cause just because the of uncertainty of Kyrie, sometimes like. You don't ever know. And so you don't want to, you know, buy into this player for long term and he's not give you what you want. I mean, I believe in Kyrie, you know, the utmost. I believe in his ability. But at the same time, with the outside uh, controversies that goes on, like, you know, can you, like, rely on this guy all the time? But, uh, you, you know, I watched that interview you have sent me, or that, uh, you know, a little podcast thing, and it said for a four-year, well, $199 million uh extension with like the f- last year and I guarantee I think I think that's acceptable for you know the Nets to give him cuz like if the Nets don't re-sign Kyrie uh, they're going to have to match whatever Kyrie like whatever Kyrie wants obviously I think because if not then KD might just be like all right forget this cuz or you're going to have to bring in somebody you know maybe even better than Kyrie so
0: yeah, and, I mean, I completely agree just because maybe you want to max him, maybe you don't, but what are you going to do if you don't? So, yeah, I mean, I think he ends up there on probably a big deal. Maybe he's not there for the long, like, four or five years, but I could see, like, a max in terms of per-year money. Um, But, Daryl, I know you got to go. Uh, We really appreciate you coming on, man. Appreciate your insight. Uh, We'll have to do it again sometime, but just want to say thanks, man.
1: For sure. I appreciate you, Kyle.
0: Yep. I'll see you, brother. See you, man. Okay. So, talking about the Nets also, um, Ben Simmons just had back surgery. Tommy, what was going through your head? whenever you just randomly
2: saw the Wosh thing, that Ben Simmons is going to have back surgery. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. If it is not one thing, it is another with this guy. <laughs> that was it – was, it was ridiculous to me. Um, <laughs> I just – I have no words for uh, Mr., Mr. Simmons right now. Uh, golly. What,
0: what was going through my head was like, who cleared him to play?
2: exactly if the man (laughs) needed surgery like why was all this chat like the chatter that oh game four he'll be ready uh no no he he wasn't ready he needed surgery the whole time
0: yeah like I couldn't believe it I was like you mean to tell me that he was cleared to play and he needed back surgery (laughs) like it's it's a mess over there it's a mess (laughs) but um you know I just wanted to ask you what is your personal concern level for Ben Simmons? At this point, so, everything we know—the latest report about—he got his surgery. He's out for about three, four months now. But I mean, it is the off season. But what is your concern level for Ben Simmons?
2: So, like, I—he was—I guess he was working in the off, like, or while he wasn't playing, like, getting better at some things. But back surgery is a monster. Um, yeah. So, like, the things that we that's, that's his expect. Second.
0: Yeah, that's his second big back injury, and he's only twenty-five.
2: Yep. So the th- yeah, the things that we expect Ben Simmons to go out there and do, play good defense, uh, facilitate facilitate the ball, and even like drive and score. Um, that honestly becomes like, is it going to happen ever again? Because um, back I, surgery I, is a monster. I don't. And think that's crazy to he, say. Yeah, and he's just twenty-five, so. I don't know man I'm just I'm, I'm worried about the man's career right now I, I think
3: that that's fair
0: um you know just some other notes for the Nets uh Bruce Brown is likely gone unrestricted free agent um Nicholas Claxton is a restricted free agent uh what are you willing to match for Claxton if he even gets some offers, I mean, let's be real. Yeah,
2: I I don't know if he'll get any 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 offers, but
0: I mean, maybe what what
2: three like like a three like a three year three point five million dollar yeah. four four million dollar like I feel like I even
0: at, even at four million with their tax bill already, I feel like I'm pushing it. I'd almost just let him go. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what is what is he doing for them right now? Or what well, did he do for them? <laughs> Dayron Sharp next year. <laughs> yeah. Um.
0: I don't know, man. I mean, we'll see. Uh, I personally think that they need to take those two Sixers first round picks, and that's where they need to look for like a five man. Um. I don't think Claxton should be a huge priority this off season, but I would also don't think he's going to be a priority to any team. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: You know, we'll see. Um, and then Seth Curry is extension eligible. Um, I think I want to work out an extension with him if I'm Brooklyn. Um, Oh yeah. But, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm willing to pay him like anything big, maybe like around the 12 to 14 million range. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Completely agree. Uh, but he's, I mean, I think he's a big priority. Like I say, extend him, you know, like make it happen. Uh, he was a part of the Harden trade. Um, you don't know what you're going to get out of Ben Simmons, so you may want to keep this piece. Um, but even if, it, if you can't agree on extension, he's got value. You can figure something out. Um, but it'll, it'll just be interesting to see what happens there. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the Nets, it's a mess, man. Um, and branching off the Kyrie stuff we were talking about, Sean Marks actually made some comments uh, specifically, basically geared towards Kyrie Irving to the media saying that we only want people that are all in here, uh, aren't about themselves, and have availability. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. It's a mess in Brooklyn, if you ask me. I love Kevin Durant. I do like Kyrie Irving. I hope for the best for those guys, but it's not looking the most promising in the world, with not the fact that Steve Nash is their coach either. Um, But anyway, going on to the Kings. hired head coach. Um, Mike Brown, um, he's been on the Warriors staff for a while now, but he has had some head coaching experience. Um, He is 347 and 216 as a head coach, about a 62% win percentage, right under it. Um, He has six playoff appearances and eight seasons as a head coach. But, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he didn't do a good job, but I do think the context matters. And the two teams he's coached are the Cavs with LeBron James, and Lakers with Kobe Bryant. And I just think that matters. That's like two probably top three players ever. And, mm-hmm. I, again, I'm not saying that this guy's not going to be a good coach. It's just like then I start to ask myself, were there better options? And I'm going to ask you first. What do you think that there were better options?
2: I I do think there are better options. And, honestly, it was two, it was like, really specific ones. And one, one would be a complete mystery. And the other has um, revived bad teams before. Um, So the first one would be um, Darvin Ham. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He's the assistant coach for the Milwaukee Bucks real quick. But yeah, Darvin Ham is on mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. My bad. Yeah. But um, he really, really hopped on the scene like and made his presence known when he was working with uh, Kobe and and Dwight back in 2011, he was um, on the Laker staff, and then he was with Atlanta for a little while, coached their summer league team. But um, yes, so he, so he, Ham
0: he, Ham has been an assistant for over a decade now. Yeah, and yeah, and, and people, if you listen to what people have to say about Darvin Ham, it it's that he's more than ready for head coaching. Yeah. But and and I want you to keep going. I didn't think too much of him. Because I think he's, I think Sacramento wanted to coach like now, and I think Ham is going to totally weigh all his options.
2: Right. yeah. Yeah, So that's, I mean, that's about as far as I was going. I just know that he's up next. He's like the next next guy that you want to look at. Definitely. And then um, another choice for me would have would have been Mike D'Antoni. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he worked uh, he worked with uh, he 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 runs a really fast offense, right? So um I think with the guys you got in Sacramento and having a possible chance at getting winning the lottery, um I think Chet is the perfect center for his system, the systems that he runs as well. So uh, I think he would have been great. I agree. You know, a lot that matters to Sacramento is how they do land in the lottery.
0: Yeah. Um, my other guys that I noted and I don't I think I think D'Antoni would have been a great hire too. I just feel like he's probably We'll see. I feel like the Antonia to Charlotte is going to happen. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I had two more, and I had Kenny Atkinson and Mark Jackson. And to me, it was just both of those guys have literally proven to the NBA world that they can take guys that have shown potential and really elevate them. Like, like forget, forget aspirations of winning a championship. The Kings need to make the playoffs. Like, and I feel like these two have shown they're more than capable of that. And so Kenny Atkinson specifically with D'Angelo Russell, the revival of his career. um, Karis Levert, a lot of Jared Allen's development was with him. Mark Jackson, I understand that Steve Kerr came in and they won a championship. Mark Jackson has everything to do with the player development of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. Draymond probably another level with Steve Kerr, but Steph and Clay, lots of player development owed to Mark Jackson. And they will tell you that. And um, obviously not to say I've had a conversation, but just like I've heard them on for Steph on Draymond's podcast, and I've seen other questions about them talking about Mark Jackson. Like they they credit him. And Mark Jackson got them to keep getting better and better and better. Maybe Mark Jackson does get a championship with the Warriors. They keep going. But, you know, like it's just – I think those guys are proven. I thought Mark Jackson actually was interviewed by the Kings. I don't know. I just – I thought that those guys were probably better options. But we'll see. I'm not saying Mike Brown's a terrible coach. Um, Now, I just want to ask a question. Do you think Mike Brown can revive this team and utilize
2: the duo of Fox and Savonis effectively? I think that he can. I mean, I hope that he can. I mean, they ha- they real their roster is is not bad at all. Their roster isn't isn't bad at all. And if if you can they've get those about,
0: two, you got about seven guys that you can look at and say are probably like good NBA players.
2: Like yeah, but if you can get those two clicking and on the on the same page, I think that's like it's gonna be deadly. I mean, not not like the deadliest duo in the game, but <laughs> yeah, they could definitely. I mean. We're going to talk talk about this next. I mean, I guess I'll hop into it now, but they can definitely make the plan next year if we can get – if these two guys can get on the same page. So I just want
0: to logic through it because I don't don't want to – so let's see. Your top six this year, maybe Utah falls out of it if they blow up or something. mm -hmm. But your top six this year isn't going to be the same. You're going to have a healthy Clippers team next year. Yep. So that's seven teams that I can automatically say are above Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I think you could safely say Minnesota is still ahead of Sacramento. That's yep. New Orleans is going to have the team they have now for the entire season. Nine. Um, who am I forgetting that was also in the play-in? The Spurs, I think they're getting better. I mean, I'm not going to yeah. definitively call them better than Sacramento because you never know, but I would probably have them both Sacramento. That's 10. And who knows what's going to happen, but like – even the Lakers' disasters this year were still above Sacramento. Yeah. But, like, I think they could get better, but I think with the West getting better next year and probably going back to the juggernaut it's been before next year, I just think it's tough. Like, I could they? Maybe. If they do, mm-hmm. I think it's the 10 seed.
2: Yep. This, I mean, the. The ceiling for the West is so high, um, but if some things don't fall into place, the 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 floor, you know, yeah, all these teams could be close again. But I agree. We'll see. I agree. And
0: then, you know, we'll see how they do. But lastly, we just want to touch on the Bulls a little bit and Zach Levine's free agency. Um, first question I want to ask you is, what went wrong with Chicago?
2: So I, just for, the I just,
0: context, just for the context of what I'm asking to our audience, this team was first in the East about two months in nearing that three months in, and then it was just a collapse. And then the playoffs were just a disaster. So I'm just posing a question to you. What went wrong?
2: Uh, it's not like anyone just like forgot how to play basketball, but it just, it seemed like towards the end of it, they were not gelling well together. Um, they're making a lot of stupid mistakes. Um, weren't really playing much defense, it seemed like. Um, so, the defense was horrid in the second. Yes, it was. It was, yeah. It was, I was like, like I said, they weren't playing much at all. So, yeah. It's just, I don't know.
0: I do think they were very unfortunate that Alex Bruso missed half the season. Yeah. Alonzo mm-hmm. Ball missed over half the season. And Patrick Williams got hurt in training camp or something like that and was out 65 games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but still, even with that full team, I guess I think that that matters because this team could have maybe maintained a top three seed. I feel like they could have been a good regular season team all season long um if they were fully healthy, and I think that like that would have been a huge step for them because to win in the playoffs at all would have been massive for this organization after what they've been going through since the Jimmy Butler ordeal and um. You know, maybe you could have won a series if you played like a seven or an eight seed. And uh, and but I mean, we'll see Uh, a lot of things to determine about running it back next year or not. Um, This is where I want to talk about Zach Levine specifically. He is eligible for a two hundred and thirteen million dollar max contract. Do you think he's worth it?
2: um so i'm 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 gonna say yeah i'm gonna say yes he is worth it he's shown that he devotes his time to getting better in the off seasons um uh, he, he he tore his acl and then looked freaking great so i do think he's um he has the work ethic and he does yeah, yeah he deserves some max to me so my thoughts are that
0: Possibly. I'm not going to sit here and say, no, he's not worth the max. Like, he's clearly a great player. But I think I lean towards no. And I, the only reason I say that, and I'm just talking about the money here, I do think Chicago, just, they're going to offer it to him, and rightfully so. Like, yep. uh, because what do you do if you don't? Like, you're not just going to lose the guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, but my biggest issue is that he had that knee injury and he got surgery on it. And so now that's two major knee injuries requiring surgery already. And it's just – I also feel like with this core, to make any noise at all, you're really banking on a lot of things to go your way. Like it's not like this team as it is is just good enough to really compete with the top. Um, and so we'll see. Uh, I think he stays there if they offer him the max, but maybe they don't. I don't know. I think they do. But if they don't or if he, for some reason, wants out of there, he doesn't think that this team has any chance at winning, I ask you this. If Zach Levine is to look somewhere else, where would you like to see him?
2: You, you, the Atlanta Hawks. So all I have to say.
0: Oh, okay. hey, talk to me. What, what's what, Give me a scenario or something. Wasn't ex- I mean, I know you're a Hawks fan, but I was not expecting this one.
2: Yeah, I think that we could uh, we could package. Um, and I don't know if this fully fully works out. yet. I didn't do well, you the complete you numbers to, in you it.
0: You don't have to give some trade, but just like I guess talk about maybe some
2: pieces you think that Atlanta would be willing to give up for for Zach Levine. I mean, they would definitely. I mean, I think. Hunter, they would look to move him if they got a Zach Levine, and then maybe a bogey.
0: I would hate that. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Keep going though. I would hate that.
2: Yeah, but then then a, then a then a maybe a bogey harder piece with that, and then some picks. But um, then then they are committing to um trying to create a big three with. Uh, John Collins, Trey Young, like then they'd have to be like, okay, we gotta we we gotta keep John Collins in this. Uh, so Trey Young, Zach Levine, John Collins, uh, base base, uh, big big three ish. Yeah, not really. There's there but, definitely potential with that group of three if they were to Yeah, be together. Um, but I mean, it's just uh, I think of a lot of exciting uh, scenarios that. Probably aren't really too realistic with the with the Hawks, uh, just because they I, they are my favorite team. But I'd love, I mean, I just love to see that. Yeah,
0: I mean, I can't blame you. Um, one thing that I'll give my team here in a second where I want to see him go, but uh, I do think a few teams that are probably going to be realistically looking at the guy are Dallas. Um, I also think that. They're going to be trying. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I promise you, you guys know I'm not a Lakers fan at all. I do think that they're going to see what they can do. And when I say that, I just mean like a three-team deal where they're able to dump Westbrook to a third team, and they would obviously have to trade Horton Tucker and the two draft picks. I. It's probably it's not gonna happen, but I'm just saying like it's very unlikely. But like if Levine were to say I want to be in L.A., I don't think we would go for him personally. And so if he would if he said that, like he'd have to end up there. And so it kind of it kind of makes the Bulls have to play that card to get something back. So it just assets back from the third team. But um, I'm trying to think, trying to think of uh, I had one more team in mind that I thought would maybe uh go really hard after Levine besides the team that I'm about to say um oh well I mean I can't I can't think of it I had it in my head earlier I think Cavs yeah Cavs Cavs and to me that's just like work out some type of sign trade with Sexton maybe you don't extend Levert you just want that secondary scoring uh I think there's potential there but the team for me the San Antonio Spurs, and um, I just think that he would fit perfectly um, in terms of what they need and his skill set in terms of being a weaker defender alongside what they have. Um, I think they've got assets for it. They got draft picks. They got they got a good amount of draft picks. Actually, they have three first round draft picks in this year's draft. Um, they have theirs, Boston's, and Toronto's, and um, they also have all their future picks. I think might be missing like one or something, but um, that's just to say, if they had to package some type of signing trade for it to work, but um, they have cap space and you put him in a starting five with like DeJounte Murray, Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, and Jakob Purtle. That's a team right there. Like that, <laughs> that's a team. And yes. uh, I just, I would love to see it. You know, DeJounte Murray teased it. And now I want to see it, but We'll see where he lands. But with that being said, this is the end of episode eight of the Coast to Coast podcast. So we really do appreciate you guys tuning in. We apologize for the hiatus. We're back here every week now and appreciate you guys tuning in and staying for the whole time. So see you next week.
2: See y'all next week.